Let's turn to uh, the book of Philippians, the first chapter. Hopefully I'm on the right page. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 12 here this evening. Uh, We talked about on uh, Sunday, and I know we've been kind of rapid fire since I've taught the last couple Sundays as well, but um, on Sunday we talked about the first 11 verses of Philippians, and we talked about thankfulness uh, and Paul, how Paul was, uh, had really good, strong, but tender sort of feelings for the people at Philippi. And they were people that he had visited, that he had worked with, that he had taught, and he wanted to see them continue to grow. And this is something that we mentioned, but I wanted to mention it as well. A missionary, really any missionary even today, but a missionary at that time like Paul, we saw when we looked at the book of Acts, really around every corner for Paul was the potential for what? Danger, and in many cases, death. I mean, Paul was in death's, you know, eyesight on numerous occasions. So a guy like Paul, who at this time, I know, you know, this is 2,000 years ago, but he was serving as a missionary, when he left your village or your town or your church, there was a really good chance he would never be back. And if you have somebody that comes and works in your community, preaches, teaches, is there, and in many cases, for Paul was there, we read about he was there for weeks. You know, those connections that would have been there, seeing that person leave with no promise of them coming back would have been difficult. You know, we leave on Sunday, and we expect to come back on Wednesday. And I know that, yes, anything can happen, and health issues can befall us, but for the for how long we've lived, we've left on Sunday, we came back on Wednesday. But whenever you have... <coughs> People like Paul serve as a missionary, they could be really gone. So that connection between those two groups was very strong. So Paul was thankful and Paul was prayerful for those uh, people. But so I want to go into first uh, Philippians, the first chapter, and we're starting in verse 12. And in my Bible, it's titled, Christ is Preached. And that's one thing that we see countless times with Paul is that he was a preacher. And he was a missionary and whatever else he might have been, but he was a preacher first and foremost. So, Cindy, I'm going to call on you first, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Verse 12 through verse 18. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach the Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yet I will rejoice. Okay. So, from the first couple of verses there, we can deduce from what we read that Paul is living where as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. <coughs> He is in jail, okay? So Paul is in jail at this time. Now, 
I don't know. I'm going to assume most of us are probably not been in jail uh, before. Jameson, don't tell us if you have. But I'm going to assume that most of us haven't been in jail. But I want you to think for just a minute. If somebody came here tonight and arrested you and said you are going to the Lincoln County Jail or the Ball or Casey or wherever it might be, if they are taking you to jail, what thought would be running through your head as they what, were, what thought do you think would be going through your head as they're taking you to jail? What have I done? What have I done? Okay. Mom will kill us. Mom will kill us, okay. <laughs> Even if mom and dad have been there for 20 years, mom still would kill me. Somehow. Uh, what else might be going through her head? I'd be scared to death. Scared to death, okay. <laughs> I'm about to run. How do I get out of this? Do I need to run? You know, how many of you might be thinking, oh, do I need money? You know, with this, you know, with this. Most of us are probably going into some kind of panic mode if we're being arrested. Because it is going to upset everything about what we normally do. How many of you are expecting to go home here right now? <laughs> you know, not planning to go down the road and leave in jail. So if you were in jail, let's say you get to jail, how many of you are going to sit down and write a letter extolling all the good things that have been going on in your life while you're in jail? No. We've all seen the TV shows. We've all seen the movies. When you get arrested, you get one what? I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's always in the, I've never been arrested. So, y'all seem to know a whole lot about it. You know? <laughs> they say you get one phone call. So let's just assume that you all know this. If you get that one phone call, how many of you are going to call an old friend that you've not talked to in forever and say, hey, How's everything going? <laughs> Tell me about your vacation. Everything going good? Y'all got a new house? You like it? You know? If we make that, what's our one phone call going to be when we're in jail? I need help to get out. How many of you know, sometimes we'll see these things float around, who would you call if you got arrested? How many of you know who you're calling? Right? <laughs> Probably do. Probably do. Let me ask you, how many of you know who you're not called? <laughs> Maybe let that one ride for a minute. So when we call, what's the first thing we're going to say when we call whoever it is that we're calling? I need help. I need help. I'm in jail. Got anything else? You got any money? Got any money? <laughs> so it's going to be pretty rapid fire, right? If you've ever seen it on TV shows, well, that's a, slow down. What's happening? You know, like you, and I know I would be the same way. You know, the more nervous I get, the faster my words come out, okay? Now, I know Paul has seemingly been in jail for a bit, but do we get that impression from Paul in these verses, these uh, seven verses that sent you right here? Not really. Not really at all. And he lets it know pretty quick that he's in chains, he's in jail. Right here, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have what? Have actually turned out, well, let's not say good in, in general, but have turned out for what? For the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I want to be clear here. Paul does not appear to be just loving the fact that he's in jail. Why would Paul not be happy that he's in jail? He can't preach. He can't preach. Nobody wants to be in jail. You know, if you're restricted, if you're limited. But he says, 
things have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What's the word furtherance mean? What does it mean, furtherance? Getting better to be able to spread it out, to get to more people. So why would Paul in jail have helped the furtherance of the gospel? Does it make sense? Get it uh, for the people that's lost. Well, he was able to, but why would being in jail actually allow for that furtherance? Had to hit those people that were lost. They can't get away. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well okay, okay, yeah, so I guess he can reach the people that are in jail. But what about the people outside? Okay. Okay. Still not necessarily where I'm going though. When you're in jail, what are you going to be doing? Set it. You got a lot of downtime, right? You have to go out to the yard and play basketball for an hour. That's what the movie said. I don't know. Okay? Paul's saying that a lot of his preaching and teaching has actually been able to come while he was in jail. All of these epistles, a lot of these letters that Paul wrote were written while he was in jail. Okay? When you're in jail, you got time to think. Okay? You doing nothing else. I need to address issues in other places. And we also see that in many cases, Paul was sometimes in prison, but not really in the jail like we think, where he had a little bit of freedom and he had some communication. But he's able to spread that word out to other people. Paul in jail is still furthering the gospel today. Think about that for a second. Paul was in jail 2,000 years ago, and the gospel is being furthered, is being spread, is reaching people today because of his jail sentence. So whenever you get arrested on the way home tonight, I think, might be bad now, but 2,000 years from now, people are really going to benefit from this, right? Maybe don't think about that. Don't try not to get arrested on the way home. So Paul says it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become evident to the who. To the whole palace guard. He's saying that everybody that's guarding me in prison, it's evident to them, to all the rest, that my chains are in what? Christ. What does that mean? That my chains are in Christ. What does he mean when he says that? I'm sorry? Okay. 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 What's he in jail for? Preaching. Now, not necessarily being a Christian per se, but this disruption that Paul seems to bring with him, this preaching and teaching, is what's causing a lot of headaches for the people that run the cities and the communities. And a lot of times, it would be nice that he just killed him, but at least put him in jail, get him out of the way, kind of a thing. So everybody knows why he's there. You said a minute ago, we still said a minute ago, if Jim's getting arrested, I want to know what I'm getting arrested for. Well, it seems like everybody knows why Paul is in jail. And I'd say Paul's probably telling a whole lot of people why he's in jail as well. This is what I'm in here for. Okay? So the outcome of Paul's affliction, the problem with Paul's trouble, the fact that he's in jail was not a, not a good thing, but people benefited from that. Now let's put that to our lives because you're not getting arrested. But how many of us have had afflictions or troubles or problems in our life. Everybody has, right? And yours and mine are different. Okay? And I'd say most of us, if we're honest, can remember times when we were up here and then times when we were maybe down here. And we're not always down here, we're not always up here. 
And the thing about life is, is that sometimes you're right here and all of a sudden you go back here. That's just part of it. But how can we as Christians grow? And how can we as Christians help the church during our time of affliction? I think the trials make you stronger and you can show your faith. This is what, that's what I think we're still um, talking about this, that he was in, in jail, but his uh, faith shone. You know, right. he, he was showing his faith even with chains on. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he, he never seems to lose that. But how many of us have had our faith waver when we kind of get down here? If we're being honest, we all have, right? Because faith is super easy up here, right? You know? Everything's going good. Everything's going good. Faith is super, super easy. When things go bad, what's the first question? Why? What I do not know, right? That, that immediately, why is this happening? What did I do wrong? I remember very well, 2015, University of Kentucky basketball team was 38 and 0. 38 and 0. That means they've won 38 games, they've lost zero games. Best team in the country, best team in the country. Everything's great. Saturday night at the Final Four, they lose to Wisconsin. What do you think people started saying? I knew it was going to be big. <laughs> they never were that good. You remember back in, they beat Alabama by 12. They should have beat them by 12. We knew it was going to happen. Something bad happens. What do we do? Get there. Get there. How many of you have ever watched a ball game three minutes into the game? Oh, they didn't beat five. It's already over. This game, this game is done for. We knew it, right? It doesn't take much for us to lose our faith, right? So if a basketball game can cause us to lose our faith like that, what about something real? Something serious? There's no reason to think it won't cause us to lose our faith as well. So how do we protect against that? Don't lose your faith. Yes. That's what you just told us the answer to the math problem. Didn't show us how to do the work, right? How do we protect against losing our faith during down times. If we all agree it's easy up here, well, how do we prevent from losing it down here? Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Going to, Go to church, being around Christians, praying. praying. Okay? Now, let's use those three as our examples. Studying the Bible, praying, attending church. We'll just use those as our three ways that we fix it. So, the minute something bad happens, I need to start praying, I need to start studying my Bible, and I need to start going to church, right? Okay, somebody call it. Start's not the right word. I should already be here. But when that happens, let's say I'm going to continue to pray, continue to study, and continue to go to church. As long as I continue, I'm going to roll right back over here, right? In time. That's a good point. I may not get right back up here immediately. When we pray, how many of us pray in hopes that it'll be answered by the time we get home or by the time we turn over on the pillow? We all do, right? I pray that so-and-so will be better. And then the phone's going to ring and he's, he just ran a marathon. Everything's good. Does it ever really work that way? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. So when we go through these sort of valleys of faith, we can't expect that the answer is going to come immediately. 
But what do we have to do? Steadfast. Keep working on it. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep attending church and being around fellow Christians. Okay? Keep doing that. That's our sort of guide, our example, our lesson, if you will, in a lot of ways. And Paul sort of gives us that example as well. So let's go over to verses 15, 16, and 17. Paul kind of talks about the different types, motivations of preaching. Let's look at verse 15 to start with. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says that some indeed preach Christ from what? From envy and strife. We asked this word a while back, but envy means what? If you're envious of something. Jealousy or a desire for something that someone would have. What about strife? Contention, strife, and issues. Conflict may not be the best word, but you're kind of you're getting kind of close to that. So some might preach Christ from envy or strife. Some also from what? Goodwill. What is goodwill? You know the store, right? <laughs> the best cause. The best cause. Okay. The purpose. Of the, the the theory behind the goodwill store is what? To help others. Okay? It's a way, and really for others to be able to help others. If you provide goodwill toward something, there was a kind of a rival, not the right word, but to the Olympic Games back in the late 80s and 90s, it didn't really take off, but they were called the Goodwill Games. And the whole point was for like these athletes in these countries to sort of come together and work together and play together and enjoy themselves together. Goodwill means, you know, when you're goodwill, it's a positive. Verse 16. The former preach Christ from what? Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. And not what? <clears throat> Supposing to add affliction to my change. So when he's talking about the former, he's referencing those that would preach from envy or from strife. And he's saying that they're doing it for what reason? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a way that we could look at it. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add add, add uh, affliction to my chains. I almost read this as Paul's in jail. Time for me to get better than Paul, if you will. Okay, is there some thought? Do people sometimes be Christians like that? This person that's supposedly a Christian is kind of having a hard time. Now's a good time for me to show that I'm better than they are. Do you think that ever happens? I think a lot of people want to see you down. I do. I agree. They're happy over somebody else making you a little harder. We have a person that works at our school. And the principal said last year, he said, if she would use her powers for good, she would be the best person in this building. Because she has contacts and connections, and she's a good teacher, but he said, but all she really wants to do is talk about how bad these other people that are teaching are. You know, kind of that thing, like, well, you know, she, she's not going, well, I'm, I'm better than her than explain to you all the things that she is doing wrong. You know that? Yeah. Does that happen amongst Christians? 
absolutely does. And it, if it doesn't happen with you, that's awesome. I hope it doesn't happen with anybody. But that's human nature, right? Better than you. Paul said, though, in verse 17, but the latter, and this is the people that, do, that preach out of goodwill, the latter do it out of what? Out of love, knowing what? Knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What he's saying there is these people that are preaching and teaching out of goodwill, they're picking the ball up where Paul maybe can't carry it any further. And they're going to go and they're going to do, they're going to carry on the message of Paul. Do we do that for other Christians? I hope so. I think about Virgil Morrison. How old, how old is Virgil? Was he? 93 years old. So when did, when did, when did Virgil start preaching? And then you know that? About 12 years old. So 93 minus 12 is what? 81? Okay. And take a year or so off. So let's say that Virgil Horseman preached and teached for 80 years. Well, Virgil's not preaching and teaching now. And the reason he's not is why? Age and health. He's just unable to do it. But I'd like to think that me, Raymond, anybody, Jameson, anybody who might be teaching and preaching here is sort of carrying on what Virgil did. Because I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the last five years when I said, I go to the Sanford Church of Christ. They said, or the horsemen. The, hor the horsemen go there. Yeah. You know why they go there? Because he's here a long time and that groundwork was laid there. Okay? I'm not going to stand up and say, I'm way better at this than Virgil. I'm going to take what Virgil did and try to build on it. I hope to be better. And I hope that the person that comes up to me is better than me. We should all look to grow. But Paul's saying those people that are preaching out of goodwill, they're doing it to, because they know what Paul was doing was right and they're trying to continue on and do the same. Thoughts? Now, let's go back to jail for you for just a minute. Okay? You got arrested. You went to jail. You made your phone call. Once you've done all of those things, it's time to sit down for a minute. I'm assuming there's like a cot or some kind of bed. So you sit down on your bed. What do you think the next thought in your head is going to be? You've been arrested. You're in jail. You made a phone call. What's the next sort of thing? Okay. What's the next step? Okay. How many of you know people that the next thing is always the worst thing? I know some bad is going to happen now, right? Well, let's go back to Paul for a second. Cindy stopped on verse 18. Boo, do you care to read verses 19 through 26, please? Shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I, I know not. For I am straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Okay. So, just from the first verse that she read, we're going to look at sort of Paul's expectations for the future. I asked you a moment ago, once you sat down on the cot in jail and things have settled a bit, the first thing you're probably thinking is what Cindy said, what happens next? Okay? And most of us, would probably, if we're being honest, be thinking about all the worst things, right? I'm going to be here forever. They might take me out and kill me, right? We would probably think, that's kind of what we got. Paul is in jail with no real time frame for when he's going to get out. So let's go to verse 19 that Boo just read right there. For I know that this will turn out for what? My deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the what? From whom? So Paul is putting his hope in two things, right? His deliverance, so we're going to assume that's him getting out of what troubles he's in. He's putting his hope in two things. What are the first one? Prayer from whom? Obviously from him, but also from the people that he's writing to. And what's the second one? Hmm. How many of us, when faced with a problem, Put our faith right here. Ourself. I can fix this, right? I'll take care of this. I got this. Well, that's nothing wrong with that because we need to be self-sufficient. We need to be able to help ourselves out. But Paul's saying he's counting on what? Prayer from you and Jesus. Now, Paul's writing a letter to these people at why does he say that to these folks? Why does he say, I'm counting on my deliverance is going to come from prayer from you? Well, he thought a lot of them. Yes, absolutely. That, that means a lot more. I mean, you could say, well, there's church meeting in Danville tonight, which there is. Or the one in Stanford. Well, my heart's more here. Right. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would like those, but mm-hmm. these are the people you love. And it means more coming from, if you hug me, it means way more than somebody else in school with 30 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. The people you love. I do. And there's that connection. There's that love. And he says that it will make him feel stronger. His deliverance will come from their prayer. There's that connection between those people. He's building them up too with him in jail. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've all heard or said something similar. Go visit somebody sick, and it did me more good than them. We all say we all say that kind of thing, right? So Paul's saying, "You that are out there in Philippi, living the good life, nothing to worry about. If you're praying for me, that's going to make me stronger." And it gives, on the flip side, them something to sort of strive for. What should we pray for? Okay. What else? Lower watch over. Anything else? God's 
will. There's a million things to pray for. You ever think about this for a second? You ever thought, I don't really know what to pray for? Ever, ever had that thought come up? I don't know how to pray. Or maybe I don't know how to approach that. Paul is sort of giving them something right pray for that. Maybe we don't know what to pray for, but what if we said something in our prayer along the lines of I pray for all the people that I go to church with? Yeah. I pray for, I, I ask for good blessings on those people, better health for those people. Okay? Those are, that kind of sounds generic, right? There's nothing really fancy about that. But it's fitting. It is fitting. Yeah. And how, how does it make you feel if you know that some of the people are praying for it? Good. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. That may not necessarily, you know, I've got cancer and they're praying for me. Well, that's immediately out now. Everything will be fine. But it makes you stronger because it's like there's people in your corner. When we would play tug of war, you ever the tug of war with your kids? When we would play tug of war, you know, it was throwing another couple of people back there. It made a lot better. Yeah. We used to, when I taught eighth grade middle school, we, at the end of the year, we would, our, one, one group of eighth graders would compete against the other group of eighth graders. And, I was in charge of our team, and the other social studies teacher was in charge of the other team. And like that whole week, because it would be on a Friday, like a little field day kind of thing. That whole week, John, that other guy, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me. And after like a year or so, when we came back the next year, I realized like he was scattered. He was finding out who was going to be on my team, and then he was sort of recruiting other kids. Okay. He was looking at his group and he like, I kid you not, kids would come up and say, Mr. Martin, I want to be on the uh, I want to I want to compete in the Tug of War. He's like, I don't I don't, I don't think we, we can't we can't use you for that. We're gonna put you in something else. Okay? But he wanted all of that strength sort of there pulling, right? Well if I know that people are praying for me, I've got a little bit of strength pulling right there. Whatever your strength is not have much, but it's helpful to me. A little bit further. Paul says in verse 21, what? You've heard it, you've read it, you've seen it a million times. What does he mean by that? What's a man in prison mean when he says, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain? I don't know if better off is the right word for what he's say, saying right there, but he's saying either way is fine, isn't he? Yeah. For me to live is Christ. So I, I'm in the same jail. I'm going to get let out of jail. I'm going to go do what? I'm going to preach and teach. I'm going to live as Christ would have me to live. Okay? That's what I'm supposed to do. Or they take me out and kill me right now as in the prison. I'm going to die. What's that mean? Hell. Okay? So he's saying... I mean, we'll live for Christ here or live with Christ there, one way or the other. That's a pretty good attitude, right? That's a good attitude to have. Do we always have that attitude? Not always. Thoughts on that? I know we've heard that verse there many times. I just wanted to see if anybody have anything to kind of add to it. We read that, yeah, and if God is for us, then who could be against us? And that's a good approach to take, and Paul's sort of saying uh, something similar right there. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. 
We use the word fruit often in the Bible. Yet what shall choose, what shall choose I? I cannot tell. But he says, if I live on, there will be fruit from my labor. Well, guess what? Paul does live on for a little while. But Paul actually said at the beginning, Paul's been there for a long time. Any fruits of his labor still there? You ever seen one of those cross cuts of a tree that'll be displayed somewhere and it has all those rings on the inside and there'll be like an arrow that says this is how big the tree was you know when Columbus sailed and this is how big that tree continues to grow continues to produce long period of time the fruit of Paul's labor continue to grow continue to produce even after the fact. That tree's been cut down, but it's still teaching us something. Paul's been dead for years, but it's still teaching us something as well. Let's finish up. Verse 27, 28, 29, and 30. Uh, Connie, you look like you're right there. <laughs> Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, uh -huh. but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Our last question of the night. <clears throat> Three things. What are the characteristics of a life worthy of the gospel? Three nice. things. Well, let's go to verse 27 and 28 and let that sort of be our guide. You don't have to pull it out of thin air, but can, can cite it just a little bit there. Three characteristics. That you stand fast in one spirit. Okay? When we say that, what does that stand fast mean? Do not wait. You've ever been somewhere that's really windy? Now, we're all healthy and sizable folks. Rankin's not too big, but most of us are, you know, pretty big. But even in some place, even the size that we might be, have you ever a wind gust and kind of almost knocked over? Maybe if there's like bad storms or something. I remember when we were younger, we came home from school one day and we was out on the farm and we had a cellar, but you had to go across the backyard to get to the, where the cellar was. And we got home, and it's really not that far. And my, it was probably the length of this carpet, I would say, from the back door to the cellar. I had ran that distance every day for the seven years that we lived there. Just, I mean, back and forth, up and down, in and out. And I remember walking like this, and that wind was blowing. So there's a tornado that hit like, near Richmond, so it's kind of close to where we live. Well, a million times in a row, I've ran backwards, forward, flipping, doing anything. Right there when that wind was on, we were back and sort of stand fast, right? Because I wasn't careful what was going to happen. And I'm out of it. I've done this a million times. I got it. Well, 
blows me right up. I've been a Christian forever. I got it. Nothing to worry about. What happens? We'll dip in faith. Right over, right? I don't know what would have happened if I'd gotten blown over, but I know my sister would have got to the cellar quicker than I would have. I got it. And I'd have got that. And now I'm just going to guess, in the middle of what's close to the tornado, laying on the ground, it's probably hard to get back up and go moving, right? It's a lot of effort. Yeah, stand fast. What's the second characteristic of a life worthy of the gospel? The last part, the end part of verse 27. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. The most important word in that whole little sentence or part of the sentence starts with T. What is it? Together. together. Okay? Now, I can be a Christian solo, but it's going to be really tough, right? It's going to be really difficult. So I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to strive together. We're going to have to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Strive Together. Why did we need the together part? Makes us stronger. Absolutely makes us stronger. I've seen people in a similar situation that I was in that locked arms to walk through something that was a, a win like that. I've seen people weakened by illness locked arms as well. Because me strong and her weak. My strength spills over there, right? I can help go from one spot to another. Now that's physical, but there's a lot of weaknesses that emerge in our lives, right? And there's a whole lot of times that it's really nice to have that arm locked in with somebody else. How many of us need that arm locked? All the time, right? Third, in verse 28, the third and final characteristic of a life worthy of the gospel. Verse 28. I kind of take it as boldness that you're not, it says not terrified mm-hmm. of your adversaries that go forth confidently because you know Christ will be with you. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, your enemies, your, your problems, if we want to think about it that way. Things that arise. An adversary, we think about adversary being another person that you're in conflict with, but adversaries are anything that sort of work against you. And it says that you are not terrified for your adversaries, which to them is proof of perdition, proof of trouble, proof of issues that are about to emerge. But to us, it's what? It's salvation. Those conflicts, that strife, those adversaries, when you come through on the other side, what do you got? Strength, right? You're much stronger because of it. All of us can relate to this. Similar say, you've probably said or thought this. It was really hard to go through, but I was better off because I did. Anybody have something like that in your life? Yeah. While it was happening, it might have been tough, right? It might, whatever, whatever it is. I'm not putting an adversary on you. You know what it is. But we were strengthened and made better as a result of thoughts. Okay. I appreciate it. All right. So next Wednesday night, we will move on to uh, chapter two. I appreciate all of you.